That's how I got my start, so I just can't wait to see what the Lord does with her in her life singing for the church. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm Pastor Megan. My husband and I, have, uh, Larry, have been out for a couple of weeks revisiting family in the South. It's always so good to be with your family, to remember who you are, and to kind of be put back in your place about who you are. Uh, my family has a rough time with names, and to this day, I still get called from the other room, and I get the whole list. Do you, you guys, and with a lot of kids in your family, you get this. You get the Lindsay, Mike, put in. That's even the old cat usually gets in there before I get Megan, right? Or we were with uh, we were with Larry's extended family, and I have to remember there to introduce myself as uh, the one who's married to Doug's son, Lawrence which always like feels weird in my mouth, you know. Uh, I knew when we were going to do this best supporting actor series, when we were going to look at the disciples who made history, but weren't necessarily the leading actors, I knew I was going to want to clear up some family name confusion for the sake of this one guy that I've always felt bad for. His name is Elisha. And for a long time, I thought that there was only one guy in the Old Testament. There was Elijah and Elisha, but I thought that people just said his name wrong, or maybe like because it was coming out of Hebrew, they just spelled it differently. But there's actually two guys who lived, whose lives overlapped, Elijah and Elisha. Um, I, the, the name confusion, it's understandable. Their names were built off the same root. They both start with L, which in Hebrew means God. So Elijah um, means Yahweh is God. And Elisha, um, that Isha, is God saves. We get Isha, Yeshua, Jesus, all of that out of that root, Isha. So Elisha, um, the God who saves. So for our sake this morning, um, we're going to call Elijah Eli. Is that all right with everybody? I was getting myself confused. And there's a couple Elis in this congregation. And I know that they are named after Elijah because he's the, he's the spotlight actor. He's the one that everybody remembers. And for good reason. Elijah has some pretty memorable moments where he really lives up to his name. God is Yahweh. The story of Elijah is God Yahweh revealing himself to the whole world as the one and only true and powerful God. And one of the most powerful, memorable moments, children's Bibles don't even skip over this because it was just so incredible. Uh, He's showing up all the prophets of a false God by calling upon God to consume an altar and a sacrifice that is drenched in water. And God shows up in fire and consumes the sacrifice. It's this amazing story. What happens is right after that, Eli uh, gets a message from God to go and appoint Elisha as the next prophet. Prophets before Jesus came on the scene were used to communicate uh, God's messages to his people. And so Elisha comes on the scene soon after, and they spend five years of their life together. Elisha gets to see some of these Yahweh is God moments, even including lightning coming from heaven. And uh, it, he gets to be part of the ministry of sharing the messages of God to the rulers of, of the world, kings of his nation and of foreign nations. And then this scene that I'm excited to look at today is the last day of Eli's life. The last day when the story shifts 
from this spotlight on God is Yahweh to the story of God who saves. And Elisha introduces us not only to the power of God, but the power of God to save in the everyday moments of life. And so I want to invite you, as we enter into the story today, to begin to come before the Father with the ways that you would love to know the powerful God, Yahweh, and the ways that you would love to see Yahweh, um, God, intervene in your everyday life, the God who saves. So let's put our hearts before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, would you reveal yourself to us once again? Would we know you as Elijah, God um, is Yahweh, and as Elisha, the God who saves? Would you speak to us very intimately and very personally today? Would we begin a dialogue with you? Would we know your Holy Spirit and be filled by you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story we're going uh, we're gonna to sh- share about Elisha's story comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. And if you're in your pew Bible, that's on page 307, page 307. And I just want to tell you the first part of the story because it gets kind of repetitious, okay? So this is the last day of Eli's life, and God has somehow revealed to Elisha and the people around him that that's the case. And so they're going to start a journey together through Eli's last day of his life. And where they go on this journey is like watching the, um, the end of the Moses story, the end of the Exodus story on Rewind, okay? So let's go from this side. So they're going to travel from this town called Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho where the walls came tumbling down, right? And then over to the Jordan River. And these are key moments in Israel's history that they're walking back through. They're also towns where there were communities of prophets. So presumably Eli's going to say goodbye, to his friends. And in each of these towns, they have this repetitive dialogue, um, one between Eli and Elisha, where Eli tries to get, get him to stay and let him take the rest of this journey alone. And Elisha says, no way, I am sticking with you right to the end. Then there's this other, like, really funny dialogue between uh, Elisha and the community of prophets, where they come, the prophets come to Elisha and say, hey, Elisha, did you know that God's going to take Eli from you today? And Eli's like, yeah, I know. He's like right there. Don't tell him. Like, you know, it's just like awkward moment. Like you don't talk about someone's deathbed, like when they're right there. That's weird. Okay. So they have these weird dialogues three times over. Why do they have the conversation three times? I'm not sure, but it sure seems to me like a test of faith, a test of perseverance. Is Elisha going to stick with Eli? his disciple, his disciple maker, all the way to the end. And he does. So they have this miraculous crossing of the Jordan that is a lot like the miraculous crossing when the Israelites came through. Uh, Elijah takes his cloak, parts the water, and they walk through on dry ground, and then they get to the other side. And Elisha is rewarded for his perseverance as a disciple with this really incredible deathbed conversation. And that's where I want us to focus today. So let's pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. So when they had crossed, that's the Jordan River, Eli said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please 
let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. This is the word of the Lord. So this is Elijah's final question. Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. I like the the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible in our everyday language. I like the way that they put this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's the question of a disciple maker to a disciple. It's the question of a mentor to a mentee. It's the question of a close friend on his deathbed to the one he's leaving behind. What do you want me to do for you? I've been sitting with this question for a couple weeks, and I really expected today that I would come with a really profound and personal answer for how I would answer this question. What do you want me to do for you? But you know what? Just this morning, actually, the Lord really freed me from the need to have a personal and unique and profound answer to the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus really showed me that he's asked this question. It was, Eli, it was Elijah's question. It is Jesus's question. And we have profound permission to answer this question of Jesus in a lot of different ways. And I want to I start there with how Jesus asked this question. And then I want to come back to Elisha. Are you with me? I want us to answer this question together today. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you. So Jesus asked this question a couple of times. The first time is in John chapter 1, verse 38, and he is talking with disciples of John the Baptist who've left John and have started to follow Jesus. And so he asks them, what are you seeking? And they say, they don't know. (laughs) They say, well, where are you staying? I love this. I think this is the way that people who don't know Jesus, who are just hearing the name of Jesus for the first time, have no idea what they're looking for, what they want from him. This is how you get to answer the question. You get to answer the question, "Um, I don't know, can I just hang out with you for a little while? Can I get to know you, Jesus? Can I stay where you're staying? Can I just read about you? Can I talk to your people? I think Jesus gives us great permission to have the answer, I don't know. But can I hang out with you? The other way that, uh, that Jesus asked the question is, um, and uh, Rachel reminded me this morning, it's in Mark chapter 10 with Bartimaeus, and I, we think it's the same story at the end of Matthew in chapter 20, when he's in Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down, where they just visited. And Jesus sees two blind men, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, Lord, we want our sight. Some of you, when you first heard me ask the question, what do you want me to do for you from Jesus? You had an immediate answer. You had something you really need from Jesus. A healing that you need, someone that you want returned to your family, a lawsuit you want over. You know what you want Jesus to do for you. And I love that Jesus' response to that immediate need is that he had compassion. 
And so if you're coming to Jesus this morning, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And you have an immediate answer. Let me just tell you that the Lord has compassion on your need. And I can't promise you the timing of his answer, but the Lord hears your legitimate need and he will meet you in it with tremendous compassion. And then, then there's this answer from Elisha, which at first I didn't like. So let me, let me just remind you what Elisha's response was. In verse 9, Eli asked the question, ask what I shall do for you. And Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. When I first heard that, that sounded like a really arrogant response to the question, a greedy response. It sounded like, I want double the power that you've got. And I didn't like it, okay? When I don't like something in the Bible, it's something worth pressing into because there's usually a good reason for it. And when I read the translation again in the message, the response of Elisha was written this way. Your life repeated in my life. I want to be a holy man just like you. That suddenly shifted my heart. It was such an endearing response I have, a, I have a really young friend in this congregation, and at the, the end of the school year last year, the teachers asked her what she wants to be when she grows up, and she said she wanted to be a pastor or a tattoo artist. <laughs> this year, she simplified it to, I just want to be a pastor. Look, either way, she's going to be making profound, eternal impact in people's lives. Do you agree? I love this girl. I lo- it blessed me so much. That GM, who I spend so much time with, wanted to be a pastor like me when she grows up. This kind of a response is, is the response of a disciple who loves the one he's following. Who wants to be just like him. There's more, though, when I dug into this, that makes the res- this response more than just sentimental and more than just endearing. And again, this is not something that I found out on my own. I use a study Bible when I'm in the scriptures. I highly encourage you um, to use a study Bible. You're probably like me in that you weren't born into 9th century B.C. Israel. Anybody else? Okay, so there's a lot of the context and the history that I just don't get. So I rely on Bible scholars who've spent a lot of time studying the culture and the history to explain it to me. So if you have a study Bible at home, a study Bible is going to be one of those really thick ones with a lot to say at the bottom. Just start with what you've got, okay? But if you don't have one, I recommend to you this Quest NIV study Bible it answers all of the, the normal questions that people have, and it answered all of mine for this time. Um, so if you don't have the means to buy one, please show up at the office this week, and I promise I will get you one, okay? There's my little, my little study plug. But what I discovered by looking at this study Bible is that back in Elisha's response, when he says, I want a double portion of your spirit— There's something in that language of double portion that I didn't understand as a 21st century Western woman. And that's that the language of a double portion is the language of inheritance. It's the language of what a firstborn son is granted from his father. So when, El- when Elisha asks Eli for a double portion of his spirit, he's asking to be treated as a son. He's asking for the family treasure. He's asking to get past to him what he cannot earn, what he cannot purchase, 
what is something that is only belongs to him as a birthright. And that family treasure that he cannot earn is the very spirit of Yahweh that he has seen to dwell in Elijah. He says, please let me have your inheritance given to me. As a son, the double portion of your spirit. This is the same answer that we have permission to ask Jesus to give to us. It is not an arrogant response to say, I would like my birthright, the family treasure. And it's not arrogant because God has called us his father. And he has called us his children. We are invited to approach Jesus as a brother. To receive the inheritance along with him. We are invited to approach Jesus as the one we are following. Asking, can we carry on your ministry? We get to ask for his life to be repeated in our life. Let me read this truth for you from Romans chapter 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. It's a beautiful invitation to ask, please, Jesus, your life repeated in my life. Please, Jesus, a double portion of your spirit on me. It is who we are. It is our birthright. Not something that we earn, not something that we buy, something that God gives us by adoption into his family. And that birthright is the double portion of his spirit. It's the promise of life forever with him, but it's also the promise of life with him now. The presence of God is Yahweh dwelling in you. And I have been, I've been reading, this is uh, a bit of an aside, but I'm going to go there. I've been reading uh, Jane Austen again. Sorry for you, but I'm just, I'm a helpless romantic. And it would be crazy if Mr. Darcy refused Pemberley, wouldn't it? If he refused his birthright and said, no thanks, I'll hang out here, I don't need any of that. It is crazy to me the way that we live without the birthright of the double portion of God's spirit. And so I just want to pause here and just say, don't, don't neglect your birthright. Don't let just the pastors and the prayer team ask for the double portion of God's spirit. God really wants to be with you. He loves you. You are his child. And he has an incredible inheritance for you. What do you want me to do for you? Do you want this inheritance? Do you want his spirit, his presence, more than you want all the temporal things that God can give? God's double portion of his spirit is available to you because of who you are in Christ. Eli says to Elisha that asking for this double portion is going to be a hard thing. When they first met, um, Eli had had that incredible experience, right, where the, the, um, the fire had consumed the sacrifice, and then he ran away. 
He ran away from a, from a queen who wanted him, him dead, from Jezebel. And he, he ran. He lived a hard life on the run. He had a reputation as a man who was always covered in animal skins, who lived the wildlife out in the desert. He was known by one of the kings as that old troublemaker, which I loved. It was hard for him to be the namesake to God is Yahweh. That is not an easy life, and he knew it would not be an easy life for Elisha. And I think there's a a couple reasons why it is also hard for us. Hard for us to ask for this double portion. Uh, First, I think it's hard for us to desire God more than what God can give. I think it is hard for us to grow in the desire for God more than what God can give. I also think it's hard for us because we love that first chunk of that Romans 8, 16 that I read, but we don't like the second half. Let me read it to you, verse 17. If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. We as Western Christians don't often count the cost because we assume that the cost of suffering is only associated with persecution. But there is, there's a lot of hardship in life that God asks us to live through with him, to suffer with him. And I think it is a hard thing to ask for the double portion of the Spirit because the suffering with Christ is hard. I also think it's hard um, in a way that we just make it hard for ourselves. Let's listen to, listen to this conditional statement that Elijah, Elijah puts on the double portion. He says, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. I think we have a hard time keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I'm just, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. We were on vacation this past week. I knew we were living into this question. And this is a little embarrassing because it is so petty. But we, when we woke up one morning, Larry and I were really struck to the core, irritated that we were doing chores on vacation. (laughs) And we had stopped and prayed about it. Larry said, is this crazy that we're this irritated about chores? Yes, it is. Let's pray. Look, it was so easy to get my eyes off, off of Jesus. It is hard. It is a hard thing. Eli promised Elisha that if he kept his eyes fixed on him, he would receive a double portion of his spirit, and he did. I love the message again, the paraphrase to the finale of the story. This is um, what it says. It says, And so it happened. They were walking along and talking, and suddenly a chariot and horses of fire came between them, and Elijah went up and a whirlwind into heaven. There they were. They were just doing their everyday discipleship thing on a day that they knew was not so ordinary. But they were just walking along and talking, and suddenly, boom, God is Yahweh, reveals himself in such an incredible way again. And Elisha exclaims, oh my goodness, do you see this? But Elijah had already been taken up in the whirlwind. Let's learn for a, for a minute from this disciple, Elisha, 
in this final moment of his life with Eli. Elisha was a true disciple. I know we're using that word discipleship a lot. We're throwing it around a lot. I know it's a very Christian word. It's really a word only used in the church, but it has a very simple meaning. A disciple is someone who follows someone else, becomes like them, and does what they do. This happens a lot. I've been hanging out with middle schoolers a lot, and they all like these really annoying little things. Have you seen these? What are they called? Spinners. Fidget spinners. I hate these things. They're so annoying. Okay, sorry, middle schoolers, but get over it. We had, we had slap for us. I get it. But it's just because they're following their friends, and they're becoming like them, and they're doing what they're doing, right? They're, they're disciples. They're disciples of one another. Look, Jesus calls us to be his disciple, to follow him, to become like him, and to do what he does. And when we do, like Elisha, we have this incredible experience of the double portion of God's Spirit being poured out on us. And Elisha, because he had his eyes fixed and had this double portion of the Spirit, he led an extraordinary life. I want to tell you just a a couple pieces of his story, and I'll make you want to go read uh, his story. Uh, Sometimes Elisha knew God as as Yahweh, the all, the, the powerful God showing up in very public ways. He had the opportunity to heal a leper um, uh, who was a pagan, who because he had this experience of healing, he became a God follower. He had the experience of, um, of coming uh, upon a dead child and raising that child back to life. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, he had, there was a, there was a valley that was completely dry and he completely filled it with water. Just these kind of miracles that you're like, you know, whoa, right? But Elisha walked with God for 50 years. We have 50 years of his ministry. And more of his miracles are what I would call ordinary miracles. Although I love Tracy Von Trotha last night was like, is there really any such thing as an ordinary miracle? No, like by definition, it's out of the ordinary, right? Uh, But these miracles that happen in the ordinary life, and if you translate some of these miracles from 9th century BC Israel to today, I think you will really get, get a feel for who God who saves is when you're walking around in your everyday life. So here's one story. He was, uh, Elisha was building houses with the prophets, and this one prophet only had one axe that he was using to build the house, and the axe head flew off and fell in the pond, and so he wasn't going to be able to build anymore. So Elisha went over to the pond and prayed, and the axe head came to the surface. Okay? That's an everyday, ordinary miracle that I would really like to have because my keys have been lost for four months, okay? And I don't know where they are, but I know God knows where they are. And um, poor Larry, he's having to share his keys. And so I know he would love for me to be able to get to and from places on my own, right? But I keep praying. I really believe God's going to show up those keys. Okay, here's another one. Elisha was uh, feeding about 100 people and he didn't have enough food. How many of you have been in that scenario? Okay, so he prayed. He had bread, bread and apples and they multiplied and there were leftovers. Sound like anybody else's miracle to you? Yeah, okay, a little bit of Jesus there. Look, our deacons meet every week with people upstairs who have daunting needs. Gas, electricity, um, food, places to stay. And they pray. And the resources of this church meet a really daunting number of needs. That's an, that's an ordinary miracle. 
Here's another one that happened a lot. Um, Elisha was consulted all the time by people to give advice. Now, he was a teenage farmer when Eli called him into ministry with him. So what business does he have giving military strategy or medical advice? Well, he had a double portion of God's spirit in him. And I tell you what, God knows everything, and he knows the future, and he can give incredible wisdom. And I know a lot of us would love some ordinary miracles given to us in wisdom for lawsuits and agriculture and how to sell your house and how to parent your child and how to overcome an addiction. Look, God wants to give you his spirit, And Elisha's life shows you God who saves in the ordinary. The question for Elisha is the same question that you get to be asked today of the Lord. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Here's some things I want to affirm that I believe. I believe that God is still pouring out his spirit. And I believe that God pours out his spirit not just on individual prophets, but on every one of us. I believe that God still works miracles of the extraordinary God is Yahweh kind of thing and what I would call more ordinary, God saves miracles. And I believe he wants you to know those miracles in your life. I also believe that one day we are going to be walking and talking, doing our ordinary discipleship life, and suddenly Jesus is going to reappear in a very God is Yahweh kind of moment where every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want so much for my eyes to be fixed on Jesus that when he comes, I don't miss out on the inheritance that God has prepared for me. And I want so much for you to be there with me. Jesus is coming back. What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to know Yahweh is God? You can. I will help you start the dialogue with him in just a minute. I encourage you this week, read Elisha's story. He's, uh, his whole story begins here in 2 Kings chapter 2, and it goes on to chapter 13. And be introduced to Elisha. God who saves. I do encourage you to read a study Bible because Elisha has some some weird miracles, okay? Um, Do you want a double portion of his spirit? Don't go another day without living into the inheritance that is yours in Christ. Pray. I will pray with you. Come and pray after the service with our prayer team. Pray for Yahweh to consume you and to fill you. And then my last invitation is really for us as a community through you individually, which is do you want to reveal his power? It's okay that if you're in a season of running away like Eli did. He did that for a little while. He came back. So come back. Reveal his power. There are people in your life that need you to pray for them. Need you to pray for their keys, for untimely deaths, for healing. And so pray Pray with them. Reveal the power of Yahweh in the world around you. It's our invitation as children of God. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if, if you have known Jesus for a long time, I invite you to pray it with me to reaffirm your faith in Christ. If you have never met Jesus, let, this, let me in, 
introduce you into dialogue with God and re- repeat in your own heart or under your breath the words that I, that I say in prayer. Okay, will you join me in prayer? God, we want to know you. Thank you for revealing that you are God who saves. Will you please put this invitation into our own hearts? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, would you meet those who have never heard your name before and just want to stick with you? Pray with me. Lord, I want to follow you. Jesus, would you meet those who immediately know the answer to that question? And so would you pray with me, Lord, this is the need that I need answered from you. And Jesus, would you, upon this body of believers, raise up many Elishas? We pray, Lord, would your life be repeated in our life? Would we be a holy people just like you? Would you give us a double portion of your spirit? And through us, would the world know that you are God who saves? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.